In Acts chapter 2, verses 31 and 32, speaking on the day of Pentecost, Peter talking about Jesus, he says, He was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. That is a very, very powerful statement. Jesus Christ, unlike every person who ever died, could not be found in the place of his burial. He did not have a body that was decomposing due to the ravages of death. Why? Because God, as you know, who is the creator of life, had raised him from the dead. Now, was this some kind of of fairy tale that's been told for years? Was it wishful thinking? Was it a made-up story to those who did not want to accept defeat? No. Peter actually said, we are all witnesses of this fact. In other words, we have seen it with our own eyes. And when you see that word we, we know from Scripture that that is over 500 people. You weren't, there weren't two people hiding behind a barn and said, hey, I saw Jesus. No, where was he? Oh, he was behind the barn. It's like Bigfoot, you know. No, over 500 people witnessed the fact that Jesus Christ was alive. Hey, Kenny Graff in the Christian Research Newsletter, he said the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest feat in the annals of recorded history. It is the capstone in the arch of Christianity. Without it, all else crumbles. When we fully comprehend the significance of the resurrection, our lives will be revolutionized. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. Indeed, without resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Steve Lawson, as he's a bold individual, no surprise, he says, without the resurrection of Christ, the church is a social club going to hell. It's simple and plain as that. Wilbur Smith, he, he's quoting from Josh McDowell's book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Speaking about the resurrection, he says, It is what we may call one of the great fundamental doctrines and the convictions of the church. It so penetrates the New Testament, meaning the writings about the resurrection. They're all over the New Testament. He says it so penetrates the literature of the New Testament that if you lifted out every passage in which a reference is made to the resurrection, you would have a collection of writings so mutilated that what remained could not be understood because it's everywhere all over the New Testament. He goes on to say, the burden of the gospel is not follow this teacher and do your best. He says it is Jesus Christ and the resurrection. You cannot take that away from Christianity without altering its character and destroying its very identity. With a rem- as a reminder, folks, that's why you've seen people for uh, hundreds of years trying to deny, defy the resurrected Lord because they know that would literally cut Christianity off at the knees. But they can't to this very day. 2,000 years later, they can't. They keep trying, but they can't. 
Now, most of you are probably aware that there are many people in this world who believe that Christianity is nothing more than a uh, support system for its followers. More than that, they believe that the resurrection or the belief in it is simply a crutch for those who are weak-minded. I've heard that before myself, that it's simply a crutch. You just need help in life. Believe in something. Unfortunately, remarks like these come from people who believe that there is no one greater than themselves. And therefore, they refuse to accept the fact that not only are they wrong, but the very God that they reject sent his son to die for that wrong. And then he rose from the grave to prove to the world that he was who he claimed to be. How many people have made a claim in this world, I am this religious leader, I am this, I am that? Literally thousands, but they're all dead. Every one of them. You can claim all you want, but Jesus proved who he said he was. Because who else could defeat death except God himself? Looking through the life of Christ, as you know, there are many things that we can discuss. We can certainly talk about Jesus' baptism. We could talk about him clearing the temple. We could talk about feeding the thousands of people with the food of of a young boy. We could discuss him walking on water, or one that still to this day is always mind-boggling, how he calmed the winds and the waves with his spoken word. And of course, we can go on and on about all the miracles that Jesus had performed, the parables that he taught, and so forth. But ultimately, after about three years of ministry, you come to his final trek, And, of course, that is when he goes into the city of Jerusalem. Typically, we call that Palm Sunday. If you look in your Bibles, it's typically looked at as his triumphal entry. And as you know, as he entered into Jerusalem, he would ultimately that week not only be arrested, but he was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, and then he hung on a cross in order to die. At that time, his lifeless body was buried in a tomb. And with that event, there was only one final act to complete God's plan of redemption. And that, of course, is what we celebrate today, and that is the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is what sets Christianity apart from every single known religion on the planet, folks. Every one. And no, that's not a bragging right. It's just a fact. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just a fact. Which is why they continue, as I just mentioned, to try to to take away the resurrection so we would be just like them, just some religion. But with Christ, like I mentioned earlier, because he has risen, because he is the Savior, he transforms lives. It's not just some belief system. This is the religion that I believe in. He transforms the lives who trust in him. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll bring one to you. Does anybody here need a Bible? Mr. Seth. 
That away, Seth. Hand it off to somebody else. <laughs> John chapter 20. As you're turning in your Bibles to that scripture, you probably noticed that behind me we don't have a massive cantata. Nope, not there. We don't have a 200-person choir. We don't have a 100-piece orchestra. But what we do have is the greatest thing of all. The most important thing is that we will spend time in the Word of God. I'm not saying there's a problem if people want to sing and worship with those people behind them. But um, if that is um, something that is in place of the Scripture, then I have a problem. And so I feel it's our best to just go right into the Word of God. John chapter 20, read with me verses 1 through 9. He says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've put him. And so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, and he went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the grave or from the dead. That, of course, is the, the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Drop back to verse 1, if you would, to read that again. He says, early on the first day of the week, that of course is Sunday, Sunday morning, okay? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now looking at this verse, you'll notice that John only mentions Mary Magdalene in his account, okay? In this gospel, the gospel of John, he only mentions Mary Magdalene. And by doing so, he seems, to, he seems to be writing from her perspective, okay? As if as if she were the only one there, okay? Now, in saying that, please understand that that is not the case because we know from the other gospels that there were other women there. Luke chapter 24 says there certainly was Mary Magdalene. There was also Joanna, there was Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and there were still others. We also know from the Gospel of Mark, uh, also as that Salome, she was on that list as well. As a matter of fact, if you just look down at verse 2 real quick, you'll see just a, a small hint there as Mary uses the word we. In verse 2 it says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have taken him. 
I give you this information because I want you to understand that just because John mentions Mary Magdalene, it doesn't mean that she was the only one there. That's the great thing about having all four Gospels. We can look at all of them. It's no different than if I told the story and you wrote it from your perspective and you wrote it from your perspective, it would be true, but it might not mention a detail that somebody else would mention. But there was more people there than just Mary Magdalene. And so beginning here in verse 1, some of you might be thinking, well, why were, why were Mary and these other women there anyway at the tomb so early on a Sunday morning, right? John says, while it was still dark, okay? That, by the way, is considered the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So yeah, still dark out. Well, according to Mark and Luke's account, the women had put together some spices because they wanted to go and they wanted to anoint the Lord's body. They obviously could not do it on Friday because, as you know, it was a rushed burial because they had to get Jesus into the tomb as soon as they can because it was, what was it? It was the Sabbath, exactly. And the Sabbath started at sundown. doesn't go to midnight. They started at sundown. Okay, so keep that in mind. It was also a special Sabbath, as it was also the Passover. Okay, so with that, just that little bit of a short time on Friday, that's kind of out of the picture. And of course, they could not do that on the Sabbath. Okay, and of course, the Sabbath didn't end until sundown Saturday night. The very first opportunity they really had to do that was early on Sunday morning. Now, it's unknown why. They wanted to actually put on more spices on Jesus' body because, as you can see there from the previous chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 35, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea put on 75 pounds, 35 pounds of these spices and aloes. That's a lot, okay? Now, knowing it wasn't something that these women had to do, it's not something that was actually in the law, I believe they just simply had a desire to show the respect and to show honor to the one that they had followed. Okay? It's also very important to remember that the Jews did not embalm. Most people know that. I don't believe they still embalm today either. They don't embalm their dead, and therefore the spices are there. They're put there to cut back on the smell of rotting flesh. But with 75 pounds, literally put on the, the, the linen, as, like you would run it through your hand in the balm as you wrap the body, that is a lot. And it was just applied on Friday, okay? So I doubt that was the case, that it was one of those reasons. Um, I can't speak, obviously, on behalf of all the women because we just don't know. But when it comes to Mary Magdalene, um, I believe she was there because she simply loved Jesus very much. If you remember back in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus had uh, delivered her from seven demons, okay? And trust me, she remembered that for the rest of her life, okay? And from that point on, we really see not whatever we see of Mary Magdalene, it really is nothing but commitment. We just see a committed life to Christ, You'll actually find her and others in Luke chapter 8 uh, following Jesus and the 12, like a stalker, if you will. They're following Jesus and the 12. Actually, it says supporting them out of their own means. 
When Jesus and the 12 needed financial means or help with whatever, they were the ones, it says, who provided that. That says a lot back in those days. They didn't have a whole lot. And of course, we also know that she was one of the ones, uh, one of the last ones, I should say, at the cross. And as we can see here, she's now one of the first ones at the tomb. Jesus wasn't just some religious leader to her. Uh, She was certainly a follower of Christ. And so back in verse 1, you'll notice it says that they're on their way to the tomb. Mark chapter 16, you'll kind of see them kind of hopping around to the other Gospels this morning, but Mark chapter 16, verse 3, tells us the topic of discussion that were going on here between these women. The question being asked was, who's going to roll away the tomb once we get there? There's a, big, there's a big boulder there. What's, what's going to happen when we get there? You'd think they would have thought of that, but they're walking down the road. Hey, wait a second. It's like I forgot the keys, right? Who is going to roll away the stone? They understood, obviously, how difficult it was to dislodge that huge stone from the entrance of the tomb. Uh, it was, I've said this before, but it was a standard procedure to cut a groove into the ground so the rock could not just roll out of it. So if here's your ground and you had that groove, right? So when you rolled the rock in front of it, it went, and it stuck in its spot. It was very difficult to get out of there. Well, that being the case, thinking they had to roll the stone away, it shows they had no idea what actually took place the day before. Just turn real quick, if you would, back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said that after three days, I will rise again. And so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had raised from the dead. That last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. So little did they know that prior to that morning, they were, if you will, already out of luck, right? The guards had been posted there, a seal from Rome had already been applied. And if you know anything about that, you don't want to, you don't want to go against Rome by doing anything with that seal because you're in deep doo-doo. You will probably be killed, okay? So they were already, if you will, out of luck, okay? Well, as we already read back here in, in John chapter 1, that issue was already taken care of, wasn't it? Did you see what he said there? Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that stone was already rolled away from the entrance. Well, we know what happened, once again, because we have all four Gospels. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 2 through 4, it says that there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven 
Going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. An important point, folks, to remember from this. The stone was not rolled away to allow Jesus to exit, okay? That's very important. Number one, Jesus did not need any help. Number two, there was not a grave on the planet that Jesus could not get out of. The risen Lord was going to get out of the tomb. Okay? The stone was, was rolled away to permit the entrance of the witnesses, whether it be the women, whether it be John or Peter or anybody else. But it was for the world to see that Jesus Christ has been risen from the grave. So that Jesus, to, to understand that, that Jesus did accomplish what he said he would, and that is after three days, he would defeat death. I mean, who would ever say that? I will defeat death. But he did. The stone is rolled away for all to see that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave. Well, after the women recognize that the stone had been rolled away, they're told the truth of what actually happened. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. The angel actually spoke to the women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the angel told these women point blank exactly what had taken place. Jesus said that he would rise from the grave, and that is exactly what he did. Now, because of those comments by the angel, plus what is said here in chapter 20, verse 2, I don't think Mary Magdalene was there to hear what the angel had to say. I think she had already taken off to go and tell the disciples that the body was missing. Why do I say that? Look at verse 2. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and what did she say? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they had put him. Well, that wasn't what the angel just said, was it? No. Obviously, she wouldn't have said that if she had heard everything the angel just said. Now notice, she also says, they have taken the Lord. We don't specifically know who they were, but certainly I'm sure in their minds it was either the Jewish leaders, it could have been some Roman thugs, or just some local grave robbers. But whoever it was, it shows that Mary had jumped to the wrong conclusion. She loved Jesus, like a lot of them did. Probably thought he was the Messiah, but their view of the Messiah is was a little bit different than what we know from Scripture. But she came to the wrong conclusion. Not only did she bring spices, and what do you bring spices for to be applied to a dead body, right? And now she sees the open tomb and she believes the body has been stolen. So instead of thinking about what Jesus had stated previously, 
that he would be killed, that he would rise again in three days, she thought that he was still dead. She thought that his body was the victim of someone who was going to humiliate him even more. Well, in a panic, as verse 2 says, she went and she found Peter and John. And by the way, if you look back, you don't have to do it now, but if you look back at Luke chapter 24, uh, she, along with other women, went to all the apostles. Okay, Once again, you see it here, kind of from Mary's perspective. Mary went and got Peter and John. Well, all the, the women went and got all of the, or told all of the apostles, but it was only Peter and John who had decided to examine what they, that they had been said. Of course, as you see them running back to the tomb. Okay? And by the way, this disproves that ridiculous theory that the disciples came at night and they took the body out of the tomb just so they could claim the resurrection. They obviously themselves had no idea what had taken place. Okay? So that's clear from the text. All right. Picking up, I know you're thinking, we're never going to get through nine verses. Uh, we're going to read verses three through eight right now, okay? Good reminder, I know we already read it once. Peter and the other disciples, so Peter and John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John was young, Peter probably had a gut, who knows? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. That was John. But then Simon Peter, who was behind him, he arrived and he went into the tomb and he saw the strips lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth, he says, was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, that was John, he also went inside. He saw it says, and he believed. So picking up here in verse 3, Peter and John basically had a foot race, if you will, to see who would get to the tomb first. And as we see, John uh, was the one who got there first. Now, in reality, it, it doesn't really matter that he got there first because as you saw from the text, John did not go into the tomb. He arrived there first, but he stood outside basically bending over looking in. He didn't go in, right? Now, the New American Standard in verse 5, it says, it says they saw, the, or he, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Now, the word saw there is, just simply means to see with their eyes. It's not a big deal, right? Once again, John gets to the tomb he looks inside, just like you and I, and he looks inside, and he could see over there, you know, if you will, a place, uh, a slab, if you will, and he can see that the linen wrappings are on it there from outside of the tomb. Peter, though, Peter, you know how Peter is. He has that matter-of-fact personality. Peter arrives at the grave. All right, get out of my way, young man. And Peter passes John, and he runs right into the tomb. Now, when Peter gets there, verses 6 and 7 says, he saw, okay, there's that word saw again, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So Peter here, he sees a little bit more 
than John does. Matter of fact, the word saw, just a simple word, saw, was used for Peter's completely different Greek word than what was used for John. For Peter, it means to view attentively. It means to survey. It means to consider. See? Well, why do you think, why do you think that is? Because Peter gets in there, he saw the cloth folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So it's a completely different Greek word. John, he's peeking in, sees it over there. Peter runs inside. He's standing here, and it's almost as you can picture him going, and he's looking at it. He's just staring at it. His wheels were spinning a little bit, see. So there's two things. Simple one first. Whether it be the Jews, whether it be grave robbers, or even whether it be the Romans, if somebody came and took Jesus' body, as was stated by Mary, right? They have come and taken the Lord, and I don't know where they have put him, is what she said. Why would they unwrap it, right? Why would you unwrap the body? Seriously, that's a lot. There's a lot, a lot of work going on there. And so the point there has already been made. His body wasn't stolen. Nobody's going to go in there and start unwrapping the body. Even if it was some weirdo, even if some weirdo were to unwrap it, the linen would be strewn all over the place. It would be a mess. You'd be just wrapping and throwing it and just as fast as you could. But the point is clear in verses 6 and 7. He saw the strips of linen lying there. The burial cloth, around, like is around Jesus' head, the cloth was folded up by itself, and it was separate from the linen. Peter saw the linen wrappings wrapped and lying exactly as they were. And the napkin that had wrapped around his head was lying exactly as it was while Jesus was in the cave. To quote commentator and historian William Barclay, he's speaking of Peter here. He says, something else struck him. As I said, he was doing this. Hmm. He said, something else struck him. The grave clothes were not disheveled. They were not disarranged. They were lying there still in their folds. He says, that's what the Greek says. The clothes for the body where the body had been. The napkin where the head had lain. The whole body of the description is that the grave clothes did not look as if they had been put off or taken off. They were lying there in their regular folds as if the body of Jesus had simply evaporated out of them. See, that's how the Greek reads it. Just like, what the heck? Where's the body? See, everything, folks, was orderly in the tomb. The body of the Lord was no longer there. No disciple had to remove it, nor had there be any enemy that had visited the tomb in order to pillage it. But this was exactly what they needed to see. It's exactly what they needed to see. What did it say in verse 8? Finally, the other disciple, that's John, right? The one who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside, finally, he kind of hung out for a while. And then it says, he saw it, and it says he believed. He saw it and he believed. This is, by the way, the third time that we see that word saw, right? Not a very big word, but it's the third Greek word. 
All we see is saw and saw and he saw and he saw. Three different Greek words. See? Here, when John saw what Peter had just experienced with the, uh, the missing body and the disposed linens, it means to see with the eye. It means to become aware. It means to, to be made conscious, to become conscious. The best way that I could think, as I was going through this, the best way I could think about it is how to describe that in today's terms is he looked at it and it clicked. <laughs> it just wait a second. See, that's kind of how it was. Peter, on the other hand, was still standing there thinking, hmm, this is Peter, right? Hmm, why would the grave robber have left the clothes in this order? That's weird. Why would someone take the body of Jesus? It still wasn't coming together for Peter just yet. And we know that, by the way, from Luke 24, 12. It says, Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. He saw what we just described as if Jesus evaporated right out of the, the linens. John goes, whoa. And he saw it and he believed. He goes, look at that. They're just, it's just, the wrappings are still all there perfectly. And Peter walks away going, Scratching the old proverbial head there and didn't quite understand what was going on. So while Peter was standing there confused, John saw and believed, he said. John perceived that the missing body and the undisturbed position there of the grave clothes was not due to any robbery. He realized that Jesus had been risen from the dead and that he had literally gone through the linen wrappings. As I had said earlier, folks, the tomb was open not to let Jesus' body out, but it was let the world, as well as the disciples, to see that he had risen. That's why it's open. It's exactly what took place. That's what needed to take place. They needed to see that. The world can go, wow, wait a minute. What just happened? See, John believed that Jesus had truly been risen from the grave. Now understand, folks, that was probably not very easy for him, especially since it wasn't what he expected. Okay? Not only was this not what they had expected from their coming Messiah, the whole issue of dying and rising again, but as verse 9 says, they still did not understand from Scripture, that's the Old Testament at that time, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, folks, I'm sure that was not something John was proud to write. Remember the very same John who saw this, the very same John who ran to the tomb first, this very same John who wrote this gospel. He probably wasn't proud to have to write that down. Okay, we, we didn't quite understand what was taking place. Okay, But it wasn't like the Old Testament was completely void of it. But it, it was a reality. They never saw those things. In time, as you know, Peter came to believe. John, of course, his faith would grow as well. I'm sure that those resurrection passages in the Old Testament, like Psalm 16.10, Isaiah 53.11, 
and there's some others, of course, which at that time had very little meaning to them. They read through it and didn't see a death and resurrection at all. But I'm sure at that time, which meant nothing to them, I'm sure eventually became a time of rejoicing because they can finally see, their eyes were open, they would finally be able to see and fully understand God's redemptive plan. Can you imagine reading those scriptures and probably knowing many of them throughout your life and you, you miss the whole understanding of that it's the risen Christ. But now they can go back and go, man, I, I, I know what that is now. It, it began to fit. It finally fit once they came to know Christ. Islam, Judaism, other religions believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus' physical body was discarded. It literally dissolved into gases, is what they'd say. People of the Jesus Seminar, they just laugh about it, thinking it's ridiculous. But because of the historical evidence, because of the empty tomb, because of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and most importantly, because of the promises of God, thousands of years prior, the foundation of Christianity is still unshakable. There are so many different theories to say how it didn't happen. Because you see, if it did happen, Jesus is who he said he was. Christianity is real. It's the only way to heaven. And whatever they believe, whatever religion they hold on to is false. It's a sham. They, oh yeah, they'll stand before Christ one day, but they won't hear what they want to hear. So they continue to try and disprove, but it's impossible. Christianity is unshakable. All these years, millennia, they still have not been able to overcome the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the third day, that faithful Sunday morning, Jesus had risen. And even today, 2,000 years later, he transforms the lives of people who were nowhere near that time. That's an amazing statement in and of itself. You see, Christianity isn't just a belief system, right? There's over 4,000 religions in this world where I believe this and they believe that and he believes this. It's just a head knowledge of, oh, I choose that one. But Christianity isn't that. It's a life transformation. That's why he says, if anyone wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again, a new creation in Christ, a transformed life. And that in itself also is the greatest, the greatest miracle is the transformed life of a, sick, a, a, a sin-sick sinner who's now been transformed. I'd like to know if Jesus Christ wasn't real or if Jesus Christ hasn't raised. What took place in that man's life? What took place in my life? What took place in yours? We can stand firm today and praise God that the resurrection is true. It's real, and one day because he rose, we too will rise. Not because we deserve it, never ever think that, but because of God's grace and God's mercy, we're here today, and when we die one day, we'll be with him. Because he defeated death, he is still today who he said he was. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your word. We thank you, Lord, that many people here have a transformed life. It's not some 
simple religious belief system that we have. So many people can believe whatever they want to believe. It's not a head knowledge. And of course, that's the greatest evidence that there is. That outside your Holy Spirit, outside your word, Lord, we see in ourselves a transformed life. We don't just see someone who's learning about a false religion. Lord, we thank you personally on our, on our behalf that you died for us. For those of us right now who are in this room who know Christ and who came to know him through our faith in him, we've repented. We know that our sins are forgiven. That's it's still an amazing statement, Lord. The sins that I might commit tomorrow are already forgiven through the blood of Christ. But Lord, that wasn't just a statement that Jesus said. It wasn't just something that it would sound good amongst the people. But he said, I'm going to prove that I am that man. And he defeated death. With death, there is no victory with Christ. And for us as well. When we die, Lord, we thank you that we don't just go to the grave. We don't just dissolve into gases. But Lord, we go to be with you. To be absent from this body is to be with you. So Lord, the resurrection is not just an awesome thing as we look back at Christ, but it transformed us and it gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we give you the glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.